Hear this word from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and we visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are, that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, what a heavy passage. As you heard earlier, this is the final Sunday of this church year. I thought about bringing out a confetti bomb for today to, to blow over this side and this side, some noisemakers, because this is our New Year's Eve, so to speak. This is our December 31st in human terms. And if we look back through the liturgical year, kind of like we do on New Year's Eve, we look back over our year behind us, rather. So I wonder if we could, on this New Year's Eve of sorts, this Christ the King Sunday, or Reign of Christ Sunday, as we call it, I wonder if we could, just for a moment, look back on where we have been this year, at least in, in worship. Can we take a moment? So coming out of Advent last year, you might remember our theme for Advent was waiting. We talked a lot about waiting last year. No one remembers that. That was like 10 years ago. You're like, yeah, I remember that. No, you don't. That was at least 10 calendar years ago. But we kicked off 2023 with a lessons and carols in the back of the sanctuary, if you were here for that. 
We talked about the baptism of Jesus. And then we went for a few weeks where we studied the Psalms, about six weeks that took us into Lent. It was called the Psalms, uh, talking about the heart, our heart and the heart of God, how we connect to one another. At the end of that, we celebrated a baptism service with Amazing Grace Community of Faith. We had over 100 people in this sanctuary celebrated four baptisms that day. It was a great day. From that, we went into Lent, a series called Good Enough. You might remember in the wall, on the wall behind me, we had words that said, good enough, only to come to Easter Sunday and be reminded that Christ was more than enough, not just good enough, but that the life of Christ was more than enough. Immediately following Easter Sunday, on Easter Monday, was the shooting at the Old National Bank downtown. So that following Sunday, we came in here and we named our why. Why, as a people of faith, as individuals, should we advocate for wise gun laws? Then we went into a series called Why Church? that led us to Pentecost Sunday, about the formation of the church, why it's important, what happens here, why church. It brought us to the birthday of the church, Pentecost Sunday, that we actually had to move inside up to Chapel Hall. Then we went into a series on Sabbath, different kinds of rest over the summer. We even hosted each Wednesday night something called Midweek Pause that our staff and our amazing interns helped lead over the summer with different kinds of prayer and breathing and uh, exercises on justice. This fall, we did probably one of my favorite series to date called Liturgy. We talked about the how and the why and the what and the who of worship. What is it that we even do here on Sunday mornings? That was a favorite. We welcomed Reverend Natasha Nedrick here on Communion Sunday, the first Sunday in October. And then we committed ourselves to the vision and ministries of next year, looking to be woven together with our ministries of next year. Then lastly, we celebrated Remember Me, a series that took us to All Saints Sunday. All Saints, uh, where we observed grief and loss, Last week, all that till last week, we celebrated Thanksgiving with blessing our Chapel Hall kitchen up in Chapel Hall with a potluck brunch. All the carbs and cheese I have ever wanted was in Chapel Hall last week. But I hope you left feeling encouraged and confident that God is moving among us creatively as we approach this new year. All of these things we have done and talked about, we have, in those, heard the stories of Jesus' birth. We have reflected on his life and his ministry, his miracles, his time with his disciples, even after his resurrection. We heard uh, letters from early disciples and evangelists and Paul who gave instruction to the early church on how to be a church. And even good stories from the Old Testament, songs from the Old Testament, the core of our canon that helped our ancestors figure out who God was to them. Woo! 
What a year! But ring out the old. We're ready to ring in the new next week with the start of Advent. But each year on New Year's Eve, or kind of this Sunday, we celebrate a Sunday called the Reign of Christ, or Christ the King Sunday. It's not as old as some other holidays in our liturgical year. It's actually only about 100 years old. It was started in the early 1900s because there was a lot of war in the world. It was a way that churches celebrated that above all of the war and violence, Christ would still reign. That there was another level of cosmic justice that would inevitably rule. But each year, the passage that I read earlier, it is our main text. And it reminds us now and throughout the entire year, as powers and principalities, as conflict and violence, as unfairness and greed, as passive aggression and overstepping, as addiction and overdose, as hurtful words and hurled insults, as the wrong person wins and the right one is humiliated, that the level of justice we see and experience firsthand here on earth is not the last justice we will ever experience. Jesus is setting up this depiction of the final judgment seemingly putting himself on the throne to talk about how people will be divided. But then, if you notice, immediately, as soon as Jesus mentions himself being on the throne, immediately he then likens himself to a shepherd with sheep and goats. Jesus doesn't let himself live with a crown too long before, again, he is a shepherd. Remember that. Immediately he goes back to this symbol of humility. And then this king, this Christ, this ruler, this name above all names likens himself to the least of these. And that's the crux of today. The king of all creation likens himself to the least of these. This nugget of Christology where Christ is fully divine and royal and on the throne, but Christ's identity and movement in this world will only be found in relationships of people who we believe are less than us. Because then, and only then, when we are in relationship with those people, are we changed. Are we challenged to think about someone else's life other than our own? We do not pontificate from thrones or Facebook statuses or ivory towers, but we are in direct relationship with people who challenge what we believe, who cause us for a second to think, what if I'm wrong? We could be 
wrong. We have built a church on 2,000 years of theology. A lot of writing, a lot of preaching, a lot of speaking. And we could be wrong. We could be wrong about how we've established ourselves. We could be wrong about how the church is built or how it functions. We could be wrong in some of our core theological beliefs. And I think as more research comes out about how the church has traumatized individuals, we've been wrong. If we don't live a life where we are constantly confronted by new stories, new people, new faces, new perspectives, new ways of doing things, new processes, new calendars, new leaders, new music, new carpet, new friends, it becomes quite easy and quite routine to settle into a rhythm that is fed off of certainty and routine and what we think we know. But when we encounter new, new people, new perspectives, new places, that is when we have the opportunity to change. Because that is where we meet Christ. I have been watching a show called Black Cake on Hulu. It's still coming out. There's only like five or six episodes out right now. I would encourage you to watch it if you have Hulu. But it tells the story of two adult children whose recently deceased mother leaves them voice recordings about her life, stories they never knew about her upbringing. One of the children, Byron, is a top-level ocean scientist. And he is one of the only black men in the field, in the show, and probably that is how it appears in real life. While serving as the only black man or only non-white person on a diversity panel for ocean scientists, he is asked a question about what it is like to be a black man in his field. And his response is honest, and gut-wrenching and hard. And I won't share all of it because he delivers it so flawlessly, but one phrase sticks out to me so much. I wanted to share it. When speaking about power structures he has to fight against within a primarily white institution, he says this. When people running these institutions picture their next CEO or chairman or director, they are not imagining my face. We, as people of color, don't occupy their imagination the way they occupy ours. So we have to fight to fix broken systems. Let me pull this out. A black man speaking about white people in the industry. We don't occupy their imagination the way they occupy ours. And that is why we have to fight.
I think this feeling, this truth could just as easily be applied to any group that has been made to think or believe that they are less than or less capable than or less important than or less beloved than or less deserving than. I would imagine, maybe, a person who is gay imagines what life would look like if they were straight. But I doubt a straight person imagines the hardships of what it is like to be gay. I wonder if an immigrant imagines what life might look like if they didn't have a language barrier or have to produce documentations of identity or walk around with a target on their back. I have never thought about such a thing. Maybe a poor person imagines what it is like to pay the rent and then have more money to buy food. But a rich person rarely, if ever, thinks about that. Or again, in Jesus' words, maybe a hungry person imagines a life where their next meal wasn't a fight or an unknown. But a person with a full pantry doesn't imagine what it is like to go hungry. Or maybe an incarcerated person imagines what life would be like when they are released from prison. But a person walking around outside in freedom doesn't imagine what the inside of a prison cell looks like. But the more we are in relationship with others who don't think or talk or spend or eat or live like you, the wider our understanding of God becomes. The more we are in relationship with others, the less likely we are to crown ourselves and the more likely we are to be in contact with the holy so I want you to do something today. On this New Year's Eve of sorts, we have reflected on our last year together, but usually on New Year's Eve, there is something we do. You may or may not believe in resolutions. I do. I like clean starts January 1st. So if today were the last day of the year and tomorrow began a new year or next Sunday began a new year, I wonder if you could make a resolution with me and I'm going to give you some time to dwell on it. I wonder, as followers of Christ who need to seek that holy encounter, would you make a resolution for next year that would allow you to encounter a sense of being wrong? that would allow you to encounter a moment of saying, I don't know. That would allow you to be in a place where you could encounter Christ because you have had to imagine someone else's life so vividly. I'm gonna give you about 60 seconds to sit and think of your New Year's resolution.
and then we'll share in communion together. Christ invites to the table all who seek to know him, to love him, to encounter him in a new way. The God who could have sat in a throne with a crown, his last day as a human being, sat with disciples, with other human beings, and ate. You're invited to this table. You don't have to be a member of Ridgewood or a church down the street or any church at all. You are welcome at this table. And following Christ, who sat with people who would deny him and betray him, no one falls short of the grace of Jesus. So you are welcome here. On the night when Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks to his Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, remember me. And when the supper 